0: Today, we have someone very special to a lot of us here at TSF. We have Dr. Karen Ruriska. She's an advisor to a lot of the TSF members here at LSU. So, I want to welcome Dr. Ruriska, and um, we want to start off by getting to know a little more about what you did here at LSU. So, can you tell us a little bit about what your job title is and what your job entails?
1: Sure. Yeah, thank you for. these invitations is this, this really fun to get to talk to my some of my own students here <laughs> um, so I am an associate professor at LSU in biological sciences I've been here since 2012 I started um, and got tenure in I believe 2018 so my job I guess as an assistant professor is or sorry an associate professor is I do sort of half research half teaching right so I teach one course every semester, um, either vertebrate physiology or I do a Neuromechanisms of animal behavior course, and then the other half is basically doing research. But those are just two broad categories. There's a lot that goes into <laughs> each one of those. So um, you know, there's mentoring students, I run a research lab, we work on you know cyclic fish, um, do all kinds of cool stuff, and then there's lots of service things. that may have to do committees and you know. Um, taking care of, of students and advising and all that kind of, kind of stuff. So it's yeah. kind of a mixed bag, which is what I love about this position. It's, it's, it's always different.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to hear because I think a lot of us as students, we only get to see the teaching side or if you do research the research side, but there's so much more into being a professor that a lot of people don't really get to hear about. Yeah, I can't tell you how many undergrads have
1: come in to office hours and be like, oh, you, you're on a research lens? Yeah,
0: <laughs> you work on fish? That's so cool. They have no idea. <laughs> so speaking of the fish, can you tell us a little bit about your research and what the lab's done? Yeah,
1: so in general, um, our lab sort of is interested in how the brain controls behaviors broadly, and social behaviors are particularly interesting. So things like aggression, um, reproduction, parental care, those types of of behaviors. And so we're just really interested in how an animal like like the fish takes in sensory information through all of their senses, so vision, hearing, smell, and then they use that to make some sort of decision in their brain about what the right behavior is to do in that context, right? So should I go fight this other fish or should I mate with this fish or should I take care of my little babies, right? So the brain is just one of those Biological frontiers that we still just don't know a lot about what's going on in the brain and how, how an animal makes decisions, including us, you know. So, we do everything from full animal behavior, a lot of behavior recordings, all the way down to molecular mechanisms, so looking at, at gene transcription and things like that, and then sort of everything. In
0: in between. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people wouldn't think that fish are even making decisions about things like parental care or aggression, so it's always really we to learn about. Yeah, about, yeah. Yeah, fish make
1: a lot of the same decisions that, that we need, to make. you know, and we do, have, we do a lot of work in the lab that does have sort of biomedical implications and, you know, for example, the species that we work on, as you know, is a mouth fruiter, right, and so the females will brood their eggs in their mouth for two weeks and they don't eat during that time and uh, while they're taking care of little babies. And so understanding how their motivation to either eat or take care of their babies is very, very conflicting, right? And so it has a lot of implications for things like metabolic and eating disorders, even in people, because the fish brain is um, really well-conserved all the way up through to, to, to humans. So a lot of the same regions of the brain that they have that are processing the same types of information are also found in the human brain, right? right? So we can learn some things through studying fish, um, that we just can't do experiments
0: on humans, right? So, but um, so, what does the day in the life of an um, professor look like for you? Ah, um, it depends
1: on the day. <laughs> so, but that's again, that's what I love about it is every day is so different, right? So, you know, if I'm teaching, um, I'll do some class prep and, and teach. Um, I like to try and get to the lab as much as possible, but um, As you sort of go on in your career, your time in the lab gets less and less. You all as graduate students spend a lot of time in the lab, but Mm -hmm. once you become a professor, uh, your research time definitely dwindles, so you have to actively make time to do that. Um, And then there's a lot of other things. You know, like I meet with students every week. Uh, We'll talk about research progress. I might be on a committee or a committee meeting I have to go to, uh, return to (laughs) emails. Writing manuscripts or reviewing papers, you know, so it, it's definitely a, a mixed bag of things, which makes it super interesting because yeah. there's always something
0: different. Um, yeah, it sounds <laughs> like every day is a new day for you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what are some of the steps you have to take to become a 10 professor? Uh, there are a lot of different routes to get.
1: There, um, I took a pretty traditional academic route, you know, so I did a PhD, then went and did a co and then applied for, for faculty positions. But I would say in order to get a faculty position, you, you know, there's definitely a, a suite of things that you'll need to do along your career. And you're always sort of setting yourself up for that next step, right? So you need to publish papers, you know, and, and have interesting um, research questions that, that you're going to address for your career because that's usually what departments are hiring on. They want, no want to see that you're going to be doing something interesting that is fundable, you know, and you can get money from federal agencies to support your research and support your students and everything like that. Um, you have to, you know, once you get a job, you have to be productive, so you have to <laughs> do research and <or> publish papers. <laughs> um, you need to be fairly decent at teaching. You know, so you need to take your your teaching seriously and want to educate and most of us do we all care about student education and we want to um you know foster the next generation of of scientists. right so you need to you need to teach and then um you know you need to get funding that's a that's a big one in order to get tenure you definitely have to have, time to have gotten some grants, so you need to get good at writing research grants kind of early on in your career. You know, Usually as a graduate student, you start writing small grants, and then you just get better and better at it. Um, and then there's some little service things, but to get tenure, they don't harp too much on, on service. It's more getting research done, publications, getting grant money. <laughs> Gretchen. And then another big thing that a lot of people don't think about is just being a good citizen in your department. So whether it's helping the graduate student down the hall from another lab or giving them a chemical they might need to, to try mm-hmm. something, you know, just, just being supportive of your colleagues, um, nominating people for awards, things like that is, is definitely something that will um, help out in allowing you to
0: stay in your position. <laughs> Great. Helps out in Yeah. It's just good to pay it forward. So we <laughs> could. Um, so next, uh, so you have five graduate students, one postdoc, and a host of undergraduate students, and projects of your own that you have going on, and teaching as well. So what? How do you balance all of the, all of those things, or what are some advice you give on being able to juggle law school things and wanting planning to do it regularly well?
1: Yeah. Um, you learn pretty quickly to juggle a lot of things, because there's always things that are going on, and no matter how busy you are, there's always something else that piles on top. And it, I'm not going to say it's easy, but I would say in general, I was, I'm lucky that I'm naturally an organized person, and so organization is a, is a key, and lists. I'm a huge proponent of making lists. Like, I have daily lists, I have weekly lists, I have, you know, semester-long lists for, for sort of broader things. Um, and that really helps me to, to juggle multiple things. And cause there's always times where, you know, if you're writing a grant or something, that takes a large chunk of, like, focused time. Mm-hmm. And you don't always have that. You might have an hour here, an hour there. and so. By having a list with other small things on there, I always feel more accomplished because I can do some of those small things in the time that I have, and then just cross them off in the list, right? And to put off the large focused thinking time to do with it later. So definitely just planning, organization, making lists for sure. Um, and also just being forgiving of yourself if you don't get things done don't stress about it too much, because it can easily so evolve into, oh my God, I never do anything today, I went my whole list, like, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, panic attacks. <laughs> but if you realize that things, things are gonna come up, and you're gonna have to change your plans for a day or something, it's okay, right? Your list will still be there tomorrow, and you can, you can start working at it again, so. Um, and also, I could with students to help me with things. <laughs> so we have weekly meetings, right? And so I always ask you guys things that, yeah, like, would did come not last time? Or, what were you supposed to do this week? And then once you say it, I'll remember it.
0: But there, I definitely don't remember everything that's <laughs> going on all the time. Yeah, I, it seems like it would be a little bit difficult, and um, I think I've definitely learned to kind of make several of those things well and kind of learn a little bit of that little jacqueline act for you as well. Yeah.
1: That's not very helpful. Yeah, seeing your goals ahead of time and um, by, and giving yourself personal deadlines, too. That's a big one, right? Because if you have a goal to end in deadlines, it's so easy you will put those things off. But if you have a deadline, you know, if you knew deadline, maybe at least it gives you something concrete to worry over
0: that, okay? I need to send this to Karen in one day, and right.
1: so I better do it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I think you kind of hinted at this a little bit in your previous answers, but what do you think some of your um, challenges are now, and how do we kind of face those um, every day as a professor?
1: Yeah, I would say one of my biggest Personal challenges and all, actually, all through my career is um, being able to say no. It it gets really hard uh, because you want to say yes to doing everything, especially if it's a, a friend or a colleague or one of your students that asks you to do something. Right, you all just want to say yes, absolutely, I'll do that. Until you have all these these things piled up, and um, it yeah, it doesn't work out. So. <laughs> I've gotten better at saying no, so every time I get a request to do something like get the seminar or whatever it is to be at the committee, I take a little bit more time to evaluate what, what I can offer to it, what I'm going to get out of it kind of thing, and just do a, call, a little bit better cost-benefit right. analysis to see whether I shouldn't accept it or not. Because I don't like to do things halfway. If I'm gonna to commit to doing something, I want to do it well, which means I need to have the time to do it. Correct, right? So, I need to figure out how much time things are gonna take, and then um, whether it's worth it. criminal nothing, that that's gonna benefit, you know, whoever. Just, just in another quest. Sorry, right. so we
0: sense. Yeah, and I think we all kind of can relate to that as well. As just trying to balance a bunch of things and making sure we're being involved in the right things that will help us to advance. anyway. So now we've talked a little bit about what you do here at LACU and your life as a teacher here. So now, can we hear a little bit about what you did to get here and to get your position as a professor? Um, So, what, or when did you know you were interested in science and what did you do to kind of foster your curiosity?
1: Yeah, I I, I think I knew pretty early on as a kid. my mom always liked to tell the story of like, two of my first words were, what that?
0: I used to say, what
1: that? So I used to point at things and say, what that? What that? And so they would tell me, what that? And so I definitely naturally had a curiosity as a, as a young child. And um, I just remember growing up, like, I loved the ocean. I loved the beach. And so I was one of those kids that would go off and like collect little seashells and like do them to a cardboard and then look up in, you know, guidebooks, what the names of them were right underneath, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so yeah, ever since I was a kid, I knew, you know, I originally wanted to be a marine biologist, because I just love the ocean, I love fish, you know, I always begged my parents to stop at aquariums whenever we had the chance, you know, so, and I have to say my parents played a huge role in it, like, they always were willing to do that kind of thing and fostered it, even though they are not scientists at all. Mm-hmm. You know, they still have a hard time understanding what I do. But <laughs> but they were always like, Yes, we'll stop to be aquarium if you wanna go, you know. So, um that was that was a huge part of it. And then once I got to college and, you know, started taking all the science classes as you do after your first year or two, mm-hmm. I definitely got this was hooked and then I went to go work in a lab. Um, probably I think it was my junior year, I got into a lab, two labs actually. So,
0: yeah, I can definitely understand um, having like good parent's help as well, my the way in anything and them helping you to continue your interest in science and as well. I know you just mentioned that your first research experience was engaging in your Deva Groundbread, like what you did. Yeah, I worked in two
1: different labs. One was working on um, it was an endocrinology lab, so they were studying hormones and lampreys. So lamprey, the very primitive fish that are basically parasites, they suck onto other fish. Um, and one of the first things I remember from being an undergrad is um, I just started in the lab and they were like, oh, it's lamprey season. We need to go out, collect some lampreys to bring them back into the lab. Mm-hmm. And so this was in New Hampshire. I went to the University of New Hampshire, with my bachelor's degree. And they took me out to this you know, river and they have um, fish ladders there, which are structures they build to help fish, like salmon, for example, and lampreys that are migrating from the ocean upstream to spawn. Mm-hmm. And there's often areas of a river where there is either a dam so the fish can't get up or a big waterfall or something. So they, they build these fish ladders so that the fish mm. can get help swimming up into right. their spawning areas. And so we went to one of these fish ladders and they have this big like, concrete opening where you can go down into it in, in the water um, and just kind of see what's going on with the fish ladder. Right? So like, well, they told me, like, this is where we collect the and you And know, so I'm looking in this thing and <laughs> the water's murky. You can't see a thing in there. Right. And they give me these like, chest waders to put on and they're like, okay, you're going down first. So <laughs> I had to climb down It's dark, like standing in water like up to here and all of a sudden these things are like hitting my legs. (laughs) I'm like, what is that? (laughs) Then they ended this net and they're like, just scrape it along the wall. I was like, okay. Scraped it along the wall and this net full of like swirling lampreys comes out and I was both like fascinated and disgusted at the same (laughs) time. And my advisor, who is a woman, you know, is working in her lab, and she's just laughing. Like, (laughs) she's (laughs) like, this this is your induction to the lab. You know, you got everyone's got to go out lamprey fishing. So, um, yeah, but then we did lots of lab stuff. Like, I got to do, learn some histology, so sectioning of brains and gonads and things like that, and chemical, um, like HPLC type analyses, looking at different formulas that we would isolate from the pituitary client. And then the other lab I worked in for a little while was a lobster lab. So, yeah, so that was kind of cool. They were looking at um, how lobsters were surviving in estuaries, so they kind of wanted to see how much fresh water they could, they could tolerate. And so I remember having to draw the limb from, like, the leg of a lobster whenever you Few hours as they were exposed to different salinities, and that we measure the osmolarity of the of the
0: That's really cool. That I this one, especially the the wet lead I mean, the fieldwork experience.
1: I don't think <laughs> it'll work anymore, but I did do it, you know, through my you know undergraduate and graduate school too. So
0: I saw through. So do you have any funny stories from any part of your academic career prior to LSC? <laughs> you had that. I'm a little
1: funny, um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I don't want to incriminate myself too much. Okay, a lot of you know a little debauchery and drunk drunkenness, but um, <laughs> so I'll stay away from those. But I do have one funny so- story that I, when I was collecting fish in Hawaii. So in Hawaii, I work on a damselfish species, and so to collect these fish for experiments. I basically would, I worked on an island, it was Coconut Island, um, the Boy Institute of Marine Biology in Waku. and I would go down to one of the docks on the island and throw in a fishing line, to catch catch my fish, and then what? walk out to the lab. And one day I was out there fishing, and there's a lot of other fish in there that I didn't want to catch. <laughs> so you had to be very strategic with your fishing, like you would just put the the bait right on top of the water and on the damsel fish come up as soon as they like go to bite it you kind of had to yank your pole to to hook it and then you know you also had to yank it away from other fish that were trying to bite it right so one day i was out there fishing and i was standing on a dock that was probably i mean it's probably from me to you, so like four feet five feet or so in this wide dock and i had hooked a small damsel fish and I yanked the pole so hard that the fish sort of flew up and over <laughs> my head and as it was doing that the the hook fell out of the mouth so the fish just flew over my head the only <laughs> on the other side of me was a shark Um oh. so it's where the, the island kept some of their sharks that they would show to tourists and school groups and things. And I turned around and that, shark, that fish was gone. Like, the sharks all swarmed <laughs> over pretty they didn't have a chance. And then I looked over and a tour group had just showed up. And so oh. they saw this entire thing and there were two little kids. I'll be like seven years old or so. Their mouths just like, hung <laughs> oh my God. So I had to keep fishing because that fish was gone. It, it kind of sound like a scene from team. Yeah, he did. It, <laughs> it was funny and embarrassing. with The tour guide and, the, like horrified.
0: <laughs> she didn't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> <goes> on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so we'll transition into the last segment of the interview now, where we're just going to give you some quick, rapid-fire mm-hmm. questions. Um, so first, are you or are, are fish your favorite animal? And if not, what is? And if so, what species? I definitely like
1: fish a lot, but. Favorite animal, I'm gonna try to have a favorite animal. I have a lot of favorite animals. So, uh, like fish, there's a lot of cool fish species. You know, there's 30,000 of them, so it's a lot to choose from. But, um, you know, like I like mola molas, the ocean sunfish, just because they're goofy and big. And mm. I really like sharks and stingrays. And I, I did some of my um, graduate work on, on those fish. Um, and then in general, I really like cats. Because they're yeah furry, <laughs> and so, yeah, a couple of cats, but I like tigers and lions. And then one of my favorite animals too is the meerkat. Ooh. Meerkats are super cool and interesting. They keep early, you know, they have sentries and they watch out for you know alarm calls and differ based on what kind of predators are around. So it's, it's pretty amazing. So I'm a not of cooperative behavior. Yeah, yeah. So I have a lot of favorite animals. I would say. So, okay. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite? Favorite food. I also have a lot of favorite. <laughs> I really like Mexican food. Honestly, I would say that's probably one of my favorites. I like spicy things, and uh, I like Mexican food. So. Yeah, the
0: spicy definitely goes well with
1: Louisiana. Yes, it does. <laughs> and Louisiana has a lot of great food too. I right? just you can't hint all the time. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what's your favorite? My handy person. I would say anywhere outside. Yeah, especially like. The beach and the ocean, like I would, I love sitting on a beach and just listening to the waves and smelling the salt air and all of that. But right now, like the pandemic, my happy place has just really been my backyard. I'll go out on my deck and do some weeding or
0: whatever, just being around the birds and, and some peace and quiet. yeah. yeah. <laughs> And do you make you more of a warning or a night? That's a warning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in bed by like 9.30. <laughs> All right, and then last question. What's your favorite hobby or your favorite way to spend your free time?
1: Yeah, again, there I have a lot, a lot of hobbies. You know, I like, I like reading a lot. Um, I like doing art stuff too, so drawing, painting. Um, I recently started making little crochet and learning crochet, which is a lot harder than I thought. Um, so uh, yeah, and then just going for walks, things like that. Like I like to I like to balance what, what I do. So I don't have one thing that I go to all the time. Like it kind of depends on, on my mood. so I like to have a lot of a lot of options, you know, even things like watching movies or yeah. sports. I like watching sports things too. so,
0: Makes you know. Sense. All right. Well, thank you for um, participating in this interview and answering all the wild questions. And we definitely enjoy getting to know a little more about you and your work here at LSE. So thank you for watching.